Kanichiwa. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for Church Planner Podcast a little bit later. For those of you who uh, usually tune in bright and early Monday morning, we usually release it at about 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And here it is, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we're just now getting around to recording it. So it's out late today. Peyton, let me ask you, do you like listening to podcasts early in the morning? I thought you were going to say a new and later (laughs) podcast is available. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I thought you were going right into the commercial. It's like, wow, he's just taking the bull by the horns and going right for MoGive. Like a dog on a bone. He's hungry. I love it. I love it. So uh, before we get into our our smack talk today, uh, Peyton, why don't you tell them what they can expect from this particular episode of Ye Old Church Planner Podcast. Well, on this new and improved edition of the uh, Church Planner Podcast, we are going to be talking today about a very provocative uh, subject, and that is we are going to throw out the statement today that kind of like throwing a a hand grenade in the room, pulling the pin and throwing it in your lap, do what you want with it. Church pastor, if you are not actively planting or sending out planters, then your church is not doing its part to fulfill the Great Commission. You have failed me for the last time. (laughs) So we are looking to generate some heat today, looking to rattle the cages, looking to upset you. Yes, uh, upset any pastor who is not doing that. So uh, we want to talk about that today and punch it and pull it apart. And uh, we even want you to share it with your pastor uh, if he's not doing that and have him hate on us and uh, maybe it'll make him think maybe it will. Well, shoot, man, it doesn't matter what it does, but maybe it'll get him to uh, to think about it. And uh, sometimes you got to upset people to uh, get him to think about stuff. Entirely possible. And so uh, now as we get back to our uh, smack talk, you got any good smack talk for us today? I kind of do, but I don't know if I should share it. You you kick off, and I'll, I'll I'll use my better judgment. Well, let me tell you something, brother. Now that it's that part of the show where we talk smack, what you going to do when the Church Planner Podcast runs wild on you? You know, the, the best smack talk I got, I realized I don't even – I'm not sure I can even share it with you and have you appreciate it the way that it needs to be appreciated because you don't have – regular tv like you're a netflix hulu you know on demand guy and um so i'm not sure if you even know what sharknado is do you oh yeah yeah sharknado yeah well i don't live under a rock man well i don't know man i don't know so sharknado 3 came out last week and as you know i was gone all week so i had to like set the dvr to record all the good shows 
And that, of course, is one of the ones that had to be recorded. Sharknado 3. Now, I've seen the first two. The first one was great. The second one was better. Sharknado 3, where Mark Cuban is president of the United States. And Ann Coulter is vice president, which is just like comedy in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, it it was wonderful, right? Is, so, is she actually in it, Ann Coulter? Oh, yeah. It, it's oh, like great. Sharknado is the movie that has cameos from everybody. Like everyone wants to get in on it. David Hasselhoff <laughs> was in this and he had a oh, major man. role in this one. Did he get eaten? You know, I don't actually, he dies. I know that, but I don't remember okay. if he gets eaten. He had to have gotten eaten. Cause I mean, everybody who makes a cameo get eaten. Cause I've not seen a Sharknado. Oh, almost. I mean, they had Damon Johns in like Sharknado too. Um, I, I have this kind of theory, like, you know, I'll watch Sharknado and like all my walls will dissolve and break down. All my personal boundaries will dissolve. Soon I'll be shopping at Walmart and then I'll be on Jerry Springer as a guest. So, like that's that's how that's how it feels to me that you 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 immediately join White Trash America if you watch Sharknado. But you don't have to just be White Trash America to appreciate Sharknado. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out. No, I think I, I, I think I a good a great pastor would be able to weave Sharknado into their sermons and become culturally relevant. It's it's kind of like I would imagine it's kind of like TBN, you know, because the when I, what I like in TBN. That's what they too. should have. They should have the the chick with the hair, oh whatever her name is, have her <laughs> on Sharknado. What about what about TBN NATO? We're like, it's a tornado of like televangelists and they're like getting inflicted on the world. Oh, wait, wait, that's cable television. Dude, it ends. I, I kid you not. Like they, they tell you at the very end, you, you've got to vote on whether this one person lives or dies. Oh, really? Yeah. And so they go, because in Sharknado 4, we're going to decide if she lives or dies based on your votes today. So like they're telling you Sharknado 4 is coming. Oh, my gosh. But my life was made complete when they went to space and the sharks followed them up there oh. and it was sharks in space. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. is going to be the best sequel ever. Okay, and they're like, so how do prediction? Wait, wait, wait. They're like, how do the sharks live in space? And the guy goes, how do the sharks live in a tornado? <laughs> it was like <laughs> the perfect justification for sharks in space. There is so much we don't understand about them. And, and, you know, all this right on the back of that dude getting uh, uh, yeah, attacked, yeah. the great white, man. That was crazy. But anyways, um, my prediction. They should have is, him in Sharknado 4. Well, not only that, but they it's going to be kind of like Friday the 13th where it's like Jason goes to hell. Soon it will be sharks in hell. Sharknado goes to hell. So here, here's the point of my Sharknado story. It's my prediction, by the way. I'm watching Sharknado and I'm chunking it up because I can't really watch it in front of Luke because, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of blood in it. <laughs> well, it's kind of traumatic to like a four year old, right? Probably, but it's it's like so over the top. It's funny blood, right? It's not like scary blood. So I kid you not, we're watching last night and Jamie comes in the room. She's like, oh no, you got Sharknado on. I'm like, yeah, I got Sharknado on. And, and then after like, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. She's like, all right, I got to go get Mackenzie's and feed her. That's our seven month old. And I'm like, you want me to pause it, don't you? You want me to pause it? And she goes, I kind of do. 
I love it, man. <laughs> so I had to pause it so she could go get the kid and we could feed the kid. It was just comedy to me. I'm like, I got my wife to watch Sharknado. That is awesome. My yeah, life was you know, complete. My daughter's into shark videos. She really, really likes watching shark videos. And what's great about watching shark videos with, with, with her is she's six is they don't ever catch the real shark attack on tape. So it's usually you're watching something that's benign. You know, it's like, you know, some, uh, you know, reimagined footage, you know, where they some reconstruction and, and we can get away with that. And the guy's telling the story. And then I felt a tug on my leg, you know, and, and, you know, it works. But she was fascinated for the longest time. We could not get away from watching shark videos. I got to tell you, man, shark week has pretty much ruined me for the ocean. <laughs> like I, I literally cannot, I, I have, you know, we live what minutes from the beach. I can't even tell you the last time I was in the water. Yeah. I don't know. Five, 10 years ago. I have no idea. Now Hawaii is so beautiful that I'll usually go swimming there in the ocean anyway, yeah. but I also feel more comfortable there because I can see what's in the water because it's so clear, but here it's like, you know, well, the irony of that statement is it's actually very, it's a lot more dangerous to swim in Hawaii. Oh, probably. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I can at least see them coming. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel you. So, I feel you. Yeah. So last week I was gone. I was out in Phoenix. And uh, for anybody who's a church planner out in Phoenix, I think you guys are crazy. It was like 109 degrees. Just like, oh, yeah, this is normal. 109 degrees. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how they do it, man. So so I was at this uh, this conference all week, and Friday we're done with the conference. We got done about 3 o'clock, so I uh, needed to decompress. So I didn't fly home Friday. I knew I was going to fly home Saturday. So Friday night, my buddy and I, we went to the movies, and I really wanted to see Ant-Man. So we went and saw Ant-Man, saw it in 3D. But check this out, dude. We saw it in 3D. Tickets were only $10.50. And it was one of those theaters that has like those incredible chairs where you've got the electric, you know, and it like reclines. It's a recliner. Yeah. yeah. And it was still only 10 bucks. Yeah. Like it wasn't like 15 or 20, which is what I would have expected for, you know, seats like that. Yeah. It was awesome. Dude, right next to my house is a brand new movie theater. And it's just a normal like Odeon or something like that. It's not a Sinopolis. And they're they're competing now because Sinopolis raised the bar. And they're like, hey, you know, people can go for five more bucks there. So we're losing their business. So let's just do that as our normal theater seats. Boom. Right near my house. Man. But there's so many fewer seats. Like when we got our tickets, they made you pick your seats and they printed on your ticket what your seats were. Yeah. And the only the only drawback I'll say to this particular movie theater is because it was in Phoenix, I was sticking to the leather chair. I was sweating so bad. Like, it didn't even matter. Like, they have AC. It, it's like when it's 100 degrees and it's nighttime, it's just, it's bad. Really? Oh, yeah. So bad. you were actually sweating in the theater. Oh, I was. My, yeah, it was uncomfortable because, like, my leg, you know, because you're. You got your skin exposed when you're wearing shorts. It's like my, my leg's like all peeling off. The, and then I'm thinking, okay, who else has gone through this? And I had to have their leg peel off. The, uh, it just, it, it grosses me out a bit, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Sweaty bodies. It's gross. It is. It, I don't deal well with certain things and that's, that's right up there. 
on the list. Yeah, I, I can just say, like, if I were Jesus and I were out in the wilderness, Satan wouldn't be telling me to turn the stone to bread, man. I, okay, 40 days not eating, yeah, maybe. But, I, dude, the heat for me, you and I are wired the same. You're more extreme. You're the guy that's like, I'm Greek. I love it in the sun. No, dude, I don't. No, I was, I, I tan. Like, I can't help it. But I actually hate the sun. I hate the heat. I, I'll stand in the shade. I'll literally walk like 50 feet if we're in a public space to go stand in the shade. I, I cannot, I, my skin like gets on fire. I start getting real agitated. And uh, you more so. I mean, you know, we were doing that interview that one time early on with Church Planner Magazine. Brian Borderson. Oh, you gosh. were like just, you know, chatting away with Brian and you wanted me to stand there and like be ready to film. And I'm like, <laughs> finally, I just got ticked and I left. Were we in the shade? You guys were. <laughs> and I left and you're like calling me, you're texting me. Hey, where are you? And I was like, are you ready yet? I like I made you wait and you kept having to call me because I was like so ticked that you made oh, me yeah, yeah. stand that, that was the first time. And in fact, I would say that's probably the only time I've really seen you upset. And you're like, dude, the sun, I start. You were like Frosty the Snowman. You were like gonna melt like you had. It was survival for you, man. Well, you learned. I think it, like that was the only <laughs> lesson that had to be taught to where you're like, okay, Let's not put Pete in the sun. <laughs> yes, Pete does not do well with sun. So so what happens now is I'm I'm always thinking like, let's get Pete in the shade. Come on, everybody, move over here. We have a ginger boy. He has to go in the shade. Dude, that's just the way God made us. That's it why is. that's why all my people are on an island that rains a lot. <laughs> it's so true. That's all I'm saying. It's overcast, it's wet, no sweaty skin. That's why I truly believe I belong there. I belong you, on one so of those belong. islands. Oh, dude, you so belong in Scotland, in Ireland, you know, pretty much anywhere in the UK, I think would be fine with me. Yeah, but you got to you got to understand though, if you don't stay in Ireland, but you go to Scotland, everyone's just like Irish. Everyone just looks at you like Irish. So, uh, you become uh not not a ginger, but a ginger. That's how they pronounce it. And the gingers. Yeah, but are I could say of, I'm Scottish. How do they know? I'm American. No, 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 no. no. You're pretty I'm not Irish. even sure I'm Irish. Yeah. No, the only thing, Irish. this is a true story. I, I've probably told you this. Literally, the only thing that we can prove as far as our uh, ethnicity, you ready for this? Yeah. Native American. I love it. Because, and this is a true story, my tribe sued the government because white man stole our land, as we like to say in our family. <laughs> You're the whitest white man I know. <laughs> no. And the settlement went down as far as my uh, degree of Kauia Indian, which is what we are. Wow. And my cousins who were alive. I wasn't born yet. I was a few years after the settlement was done. Uh, but my cousins who were born, they got money. And they got scholarships. They got everything for college. And, I mean, they look less Indian than I do. And you've seen me, right? I don't I don't look Indian at all. No. And they no. They, they got it. So. so so here's a deal, right? I even got a letter from the Bureau of Indian Affairs saying that I'm Kauia Indian. No way, dude. Yeah. That's awesome. From the Desert Band. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. You need to go on like a walkabout, like some kind of weird mystical journey. I think they go in there. the sun on those. And so, no, I'm not going on any walkabout. Yeah, you, you got to like hang out in a tent and have a vision of your spirit animal and like go out and hunt a bunch of animals and eat them. Eat a bunch Mama of, like, mia, that's a spicy meatball. <laughs> no, thank you. So, so here's a check, please. 
So here's the deal, right? Uh, guys, we want you to write in questions for our Smack Talk. We want you to, um, obviously, Pete and I talk about stuff, but hit us with some uh, questions. We may not, may not spend um, a lot of time on them, but then again, it might take up an entire Smack Talk. Those of you guys that are listening, um, some of you love, most of you love Smack Talk. Like, I think we've had in the history of the show uh, maybe two complaints about Smack Talk, and the rest is, hey, how come the Smack Talk was short or, you know, whatever. So if you uh, if you guys have something you want to ask, like, you know, what when when did you uh, first get your heart broken, Pete, that caused you to become a cynical ginger Ooh. and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff? Or what was your most embarrassing moment? I think I think I, I don't think we can do the heartbreak one because that, that's too serious of a topic for <laughs> Smack Talk. I mean, come on. Well, it's a first time, right? You're talking like when you're four. Right. And your dog died oh, or no, something. But no, that's when I broke everyone else's heart. <laughs> Pete, I think when you were born, you broke everyone else's heart. Cha-ching. <laughs> but, uh, but you now. know, hit us with your questions. Why worry? Each of us is wearing an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on his back. <laughs> <laughs> what are your top five movies? I mean, come on, guys. Hit us, hit us with uh, any questions you got like that. And uh, over to Smack Talk, we'll start answering them. So, uh, yeah, cool. Well, let's I'm, head into our topic, man. All right. Well, before we get to our topic. Welcome, you are. This week's episode of the Church Planter Podcast is brought to you by MoGiv. Hey, M-O-G-I-V. Hey, Peyton, let me ask you a question. Um, Whatever could this question be, Pete? Have you been thinking about getting your church started with some online and text-based giving? Well, what a quinky-dink. I sure have. Have you been using PayPal as a cheap and easy placeholder? Are you a psychic? Because that's forbidden by the scripture, Pete. You know I have. (sighs) Well, stop it. A better solution is here. MoGive, and that's spelled... (laughs) M-O-G-I-V. I should have sung it, huh? You were drinking like I was coming. I could see you drinking your water right as I'm coming to the part where you're supposed to sing. I should have done a ventriloquist strike while I was drinking. It actually looked like it looked like a jar of moonshine. It didn't even look like a. a It's actually water. But yeah, I drink out of jars. It's my southern nature. Yeah. So, uh, well, MoGive is an online and text-based giving platform built specifically for the needs of new, growing, and even shrinking churches. (laughs) Hey. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> go, to, go to mogive.com forward slash church to find out more. Again, that's mogive.com forward slash church. And Peyton, how do you spell mogive? M O G I V. Wow. That was something. Thank you. Great Thank you. Scott. Thank you very much. It's time for this week's topic. All right. Hit us with the topic again, Peyton. All right, so our topic today is pastor. Pastor, if you have a church and you are not somehow in your leadership actively seeking to either send out, train up, equip church planners, or plant churches as a church, your church is failing in fulfilling the Great Commission. Mm. Yeah. We're going to have to pop this one open because I don't know that I'm 100% in agreement with that statement. And that makes for a better podcast. So let's pull this thing apart and chat about it. Yeah. So uh, you're saying that basically if you're not planting a church, 
you're not filling the Great Commission. Absolutely. And the reason I say that is that everything in the New Testament is about, okay, first off, if you just start off with Matthew, uh, the very last verses of the book, uh, Matthew 28, you've got Jesus giving the Great Commission. And everything, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. Therefore, and that, that's an important point, by the way, all authority in heaven and on earth. Um, that's Jesus' way of saying, no one can stop me, right? I, if you fulfill, if you do what I'm about to tell you, um, no one can stop you because I have the authority to do this. I have every bit of authority. And I'm, I'm asking you as, as the guy in charge here of the world in heaven and on earth, uh, unstoppable. I am asking you to go. And so then we shift into the area of geography. And why that's important is because in the scripture, you have this idea of spreading out, right? You have the idea of starting in Jerusalem, Acts 1-8, uh, to Judea and to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, right? They are meant to be his witnesses and to spread out. And so church planting becomes a natural byproduct in the New Testament of, uh, and he doesn't say like, go out into all the world and plant churches. He says, go out uh, and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we've, we basically see evangelism and discipleship, which are two sides of the same coin, hardwired into this, and it's part of an outward expansion. And so I would, if, if the pastor needs to have it broken down, I would start by saying, where are you going? How are you fulfilling the commission to go? Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I guess, and I think I know what your question or your, your response to this will be. Is it possible to fulfill the great commission without it being church planting? Well, no, I don't believe it is. And the okay, so do I, you see missionaries as just church planters? I do. And, and not that each one of them has to be apostolic, but I believe that if we're actually doing the things that Jesus said, that church planting is a natural byproduct of that. Hmm. What I think happens when we get it intentional about church planting is what we're doing is we're taking the long view of things that says, Hey, if this is a natural byproduct of evangelism and discipleship, then what's going to happen on the other end of that is we're going to have to equip you to actually be ready to plant a church. Like that's going to happen. And, and I know this sounds horrible. This is a really bad analogy and it really made you uncomfortable last week. But it's kind of like when we tell people, hey, you know, if you have sex, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> so... Here's the deal, right? Like you need to know, you know, we, we tried to teach them about the birds and the bees because um, a baby is going to be born. If you're doing all the things to reproduce that Jesus talks about in Matthew 28, churches will be born out of that. So when, when Paul rolls into a town, he doesn't think, right, I'm going to start a church because that's often the cart before the horse. What we train guys to do is to evangelize. And Paul would sometimes go to places in the New Testament, he would evangelize, nothing would happen, and he would move on. 
right? Paul so, doesn't just stay right, there so, for what, years. What if you've got a church that is uh, bringing in and lost people are, are being saved? Okay. Well, that's a great question. So it would it would be ironic to me that a church would bring in a bunch of lost people and there would not be an outward reciprocated movement. So take like Calvary Chapel, for example. Calvary Chapel, way back in the early days, I think it's changed a bit, but I think way back in the early days, what happened was there was very much a move of God going on in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach. And people were coming in because they did this outreach, right? They put a tent in a bean field. They preached the gospel out of it. People were going down to the beach, sharing the gospel. And as people were coming in, getting saved, they were going out and telling. And it was as natural as breathing, the inhalation and the exhalation, right? There was oxygen being taken in. There was carbon dioxide being breathed out. It was a natural in and out flow that happens when people get saved. But what I think often can happen to a church is it can grow in size and it can, it can lose its evangelistic zeal. And that can happen with a big church or a small church. So that's why I say pastor, because we're not talking to mega church guys. We're not talking to mid, mid, mid-sized churches. We're not even talking to, you know, like you said, um, and even ungrowing churches, shrinking churches. It's all of them. It's not just shrinking churches that are having this problem. And so my point is, if Jesus could look at 12 guys and, and on it, you know, at its on its best day, maybe it was, you know, 500 witnesses, 120 disciples we see in Acts, uh, 500 witnesses see him during the 40 day period. So let's just, you know, roughly meet it halfway and say, let's say Jesus looked at 250 people, you know, and said, hey, go into all the world. That's still only 250 people that kind of what came out of there was responsible for uh, the entire spread of the gospel. Uh, for the first century church, because it had to start with them out of that nucleus. And so they go out and start sharing. The persecution starts up out of Jerusalem because even with the Jerusalem church, they began to get insular, where it was really cool what God was doing in Jerusalem, but God had to shake them up and get them to go out. And I think a lot of pastors need to be shaken up so that they actually understand that God is not calling you to build your church. That's the first mental shift that I think that needs to happen to guys in pastoral ministry. He is not just calling you to build your church. He is calling you to fulfill the Great Commission. You may be doing it locally, but in doing it locally, you are also called to raise others up who will take it beyond your locality. Hmm. Yeah, well, see, I don't think that's a very controversial statement. Why do you think that's a controversial statement, that churches need to be planting churches? Well, I think I think to make the absolute statement— I mean, maybe if you're Presbyterian, but I mean— Yeah, well, I, I think to make the absolute statement that you're not, your church is not fulfilling the Great Commission— is provocative, and I like being provocative sometimes. Well, because yeah, I don't know that I could say you're absolutely not because you could be as a church, right? Yeah, you could yeah. be reaching your community. It doesn't have to just be well. We're spinning off another church. I don't agree with that. That you have to be spinning off another church. I think 
that that will inevitably happen. But I, I can't say that I, I believe that it has to be that way. I mean, even well, the multi-site churches, um, where it's not really a church plant, it's just a spinoff, are reaching, yeah. and and you know they're reaching the loss. So I mean, I, I don't know that I can agree completely and say that you're not filling the Great Commission statement if you're not yeah. planting a church. See, and I would argue yes, and and you know here's the reason why. Because what happens a lot with um, a, a pastor, if he's just focused on that area, it's usually a guy who's either a teacher or a shepherd. And, you know, of course, we got these five roles and three of them are more pioneers, more outward facing. The shepherd and teacher who is kind of like the, the, the guys running the show nowadays, they tend to be the senior leaders in churches. They have been hardwired by God to be more inward focused than outward. They are. And there's nothing wrong with being uh, an inward focused leader if if you happen to be of the shepherd or uh, the teacher variety. That's going to be natural. However, the other three roles that God also made for leadership, and let's face it, the New Testament church served on an eldership team. There was multiple leaders on a team um, three of those five roles are outward focused. So God's ratio for the church's health is outward expansion. I mean, we are a proselytic faith. But what happens a lot is, for example, like the, the senior leader will bottleneck outward expansion, particularly if he's inward focused. And the example I'd give of that is, uh, gosh, how many years ago? Maybe, maybe two and a half years ago, three years ago. I remember I was, you know, kind of starting to wind down of, you know, my involvement in Refuge Long Beach. And a friend of mine said, hey, there's a position coming up at the church where I'm on staff. It's a big church. And he said, there's a director of missions um, uh, role here. And I think you'd be good for it. And I'll vouch for you if you want to put your name in. And uh, and that did. It stimulated me a bit because of my my love for mission, my love for uh, global mission, my love for any anything Christ is doing uh, in different parts of the world, challenging areas. But I said to him, you know, I would only consider it if it included um, church planting as a part of that. I can't divorce church planting from mission. And he said, yeah, he goes, that's the only thing. We don't really do that. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, my, uh, uh, my pastor says we're not really a church planning church. And um, church planning, you know, they, they can go elsewhere for that. But church planning isn't really our thing. And here, here's what is kind of happening when you, when you begin to say that. What you're really saying is, you know, um, kind of like the, the old phrase that uh, uh, if you plant overseas, to God be all the glory. But if you plant in my backyard, that's another story, right? In other words, uh, don't, don't do it in my neighborhood. It, it's seen as competition. So it, in other words, that, that leader, he's bottlenecking the outward expansion so, so of the gospel is, locally. At, at, at that church, it was all about director of missions was anything outside the U.S. Yeah. Or yeah, at least any, outside anything, of the... Yeah. 
So they were, they were domestically, it was all them. They were focused on them, but they, then they have a huge and impressive missions program. But the reality was anything stateside, uh, -uh, it's just us. And so what happens then is you send all these missionaries and, and they did, they, they were smart enough to know we just support missionary organizations that are already doing it. They've been well established and doing it well for years. So they would give to these things. It would form relationships and their missions program is great, but it's a great missions program. Um, but, but for them personally spreading out, what would happen and what happens in, in a church? Let's, and we're, we're talking the mega church now. We can talk about small churches in a minute, but what happens in the, in the bigger churches then is guys, they, they hit a ceiling where they kind of sit there and think, well, I either work in this office for the rest of my life and I support this, you know, local, uh, large church and, um, you know, and that's cool. And I work for this big machine or, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, uh, or, uh, and I do my little thing and we listen to this guy preach. And I think this particular church, um, had, I can't remember how many, it, it was, it was an insane amount of employees. Um, I want to say it was something like close to, you know, 150 leaders who, who were like pastor material. And those guys never get to use their gifts, you know, kind of like on a, on a, on a, on a, you know, they don't get to be visionaries. They don't get to, they don't get to do all the cool stuff. They don't get to lead a congregation of people. Um, they don't get to raise up and, and innovate. Um, they kind of have their little border, you know, their cubicle. And not only is their office space kind of like a little cubicle, but their role is like a little cubicle that they can't overflow out of. And so you're, you're really interrupting, you know, God being able to come and tap that dude and say, Hey, let's go wild. You know, let's do some crazy stuff because he's working in this job that boxes him in. And so my point is, um, what you're actually doing is you're failing to, to raise up leaders who could take the gospel into needy areas, um, throughout the, throughout the nation, throughout the country. And uh, therefore you're, you're actually stopping in these huge churches when you've got tons of people and tons of gifts and probably tons of calling. You're not serving as a vehicle and a channel for guys who would go out there and plant out. They have to go elsewhere to get that kind of training and teaching and discipleship. And it's not the natural flow of the New Testament. Well, and I would just throw out there that if you happen to be at one of those kind of churches, you can get that training at jumpschooltraining.com. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happens. That is what happens, actually. Lots of guys end up coming through jump school because their pastors don't, they, they basically look at them and say, well, we don't do that. Can you imagine that? That we actually have churches where the pastor says, we can't actually train you to do what we do, or we won't, or we don't. Or they don't like, know how. Yeah. I mean, how did, how did we get into a place where guys don't know how to train other guys yeah, to take the gospel? I, I think it would be really cool to... Um, interview some guys who've gone through seminary and ask them what was taught as far as the great commission. Like, were you taught 
Uh, you know, it, if that's kind of like the focal point of what Jesus tells us to do, I'm really curious what they're taught in seminaries. Yeah. As to that. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I've never been to seminary. So I, I, well, a lot of seminaries, you know, it depends. Each one is different. And some of the content in some of the seminaries, it, it's, it's kind of cool right now. Like you can actually, you can do a degree in church planning. Of course, there's so many great books and resources out there that you can do like a demon, you know, with a focus on church planning. And, you know, you can get some great, you'll read, you know, a lot of the same books that we profile in jump school. I know because I got a buddy doing it right now. And, um, and he'll come back and tell me what he's reading and ask, Hey, have you read this? And, um, yeah, yeah, there, there are some, but then there's other ones where you go and they don't prepare you at all. But, but I think what's really lacking in seminary is again, this hands-on training where a guy can go out and actually learn it on the ground or even from a church planner. Because what, what a lot of people don't realize, a lot of seminary professors, uh, they're teaching on this stuff, or even guys who are writing books that have never actually themselves planted a church. You know, what's interesting is at Biola, where I graduated from, everyone has to take 40 hours or 40 units, I should say, of Bible in order to graduate. So that's a minor at most schools. So everybody, it doesn't matter what your major is. You could be a nursing major, business major, it doesn't matter. You got to take 40 units. And, um, and you know, it's been a long time since I've been through there. So I may not remember everything, but what I really feel like you become an expert at in those 40 units is the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. Not so much, you know, uh, of what you should be doing as far as like the great commission. I just, I just remember studying, you know, everything that was wrong and, you know, I, what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to be living, not necessarily um, what you're supposed to be sharing or anything like that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. What I'm saying? No, no, it's true. I actually took an evangelism class. It's so funny, man. Cause I took an evangelism class when I was going for uh, Naval chaplaincy and I actually failed the course because I, uh, it was evangelism 101 and I failed it. So it's like if I failed my church planning test, um, but I failed evangelism 101. I, I guess because, uh, not because I got, if I did the assignments, it was great, but I missed a deadline on one of them. I got super busy and, uh, it was, it was the final and I missed it. And, uh, but, but what was funny is I'm reading through this and there was only out of eight weeks of the course, there was actually only one week. Cause I, I took it like, Hey, let's pretend I know nothing about evangelism. There was only one week of the course that was extremely informative. And that was the one that kind of compared the pluses and minuses of the different forms of evangelism. And it, it very, very, very well, uh, very well presentation, very well laid out, uh, saying uh, these are the, are the strengths of this way of evangelizing. These are the, the weaknesses of it. And I, I thought that was fantastic. But the other seven weeks were kind of a bunch of fluff. And what I, did they I focus don't on? think. What's that? What did they focus on? Um, it, it would talk about things like preaching the real gospel message, um, which is important. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think by now most people understand the, the gospel message. You know, um, if you're going to a good church, you do because you hear it preach. I, well, I, I think you got to be careful in that statement, uh, that I think most people understand the gospel message. 
I, I don't know that I can agree with that at all. And I, I agree I'm not saying with most people. I'm saying if you if if you go, you know, a church planter, uh, whatever, you know, by now you should understand the the gospel message pretty well. If you don't, you shouldn't be thinking about church planting. <laughs> yeah, but that evangelism class doesn't. It wasn't a church planter class. It's an evangelism class. No, exactly. But but I'm not saying that. I'm, but we're talking about church planters training, right? Yes. So that's 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 the context I'm bringing this up in. Well, yeah, okay. A church planner should understand the gospel. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm not but saying that everyone who goes good. through an evangelism class is going to understand the gospel because that oh, may no, not. Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. In fact, um, I would say the majority of Christians in America that go to church don't understand the gospel. Yeah, I'd agree. In fact, I was listening to our uh, podcast on the nuns um, this past week when I was flying around Southern California. Or I should say the the Southwest, and um, and that was one of the the things that we talked about on there is that you know um, uh, you, we've got people who go to church that don't necessarily believe anything. It's just like the socially acceptable thing to do is to go to church, Absolutely. and we've even got churches that don't preach the gospel. So you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't understand it, who would claim to be Christian, who don't. Yeah, get it at all. So all, all that's happened is, you know, what's happened over the years is back in the fifties, right? You had the the denominations. Many of them had gone liberal, and they were filled with nominal Christians. Not all of them were liberal. I mean, you mentioned like the the Presbyterians. You know, they were pretty straight on there. There was a lot of of great the Lutherans have kind of pretty much you know, uh, particularly the Missouri Synod kept their nose to the grindstone, but. You know, there's always liberalism that's always going to creep in over time of any movement. Well, now we have the evangelical church, uh, you know, the the boom that's the evangelical church predated the Jesus movement. But the, the Jesus movement kind of signaled the birth of the mega church movement um, that laid the way for it. And what happened was um, now we still see nominal Christians, but now the mega church evangelical uh, movement has replaced the position of the denominations where we now harbor the nominal Christians. And I think it's taken a long time for those, particularly those that, that remember watching a lot of the shifts take place. I mean, I got saved in the eighties, so I could still remember when Calvary Chapel was considered by most people a cult, right? Well, now we're the mainstream, you know, and I'm not saying Calvary, I'm saying churches like Calvary. Could Why be, was Calvary considered a cult? Because they let well, because in? we met in schools and we were small and we weren't like we we were known as blue jean preachers. We didn't have real ordination, and there was a, you know it was a bunch of hippies, right? And they're like, hey, we don't care about that. We just care about you know the Bible and you know the Holy Spirit and that stuff was was viewed with a lot of suspicion. Well, now it's mainstream. So all these these mega churches that have sprung up in the last twenty years. Now they are harboring, and I think it, it's something we point out on a on a podcast earlier on uh, in the year was that um, nominal Christians always have existed; they always will exist. And you know, it just we now probably have to realize that the movements and the churches and the denominations that we're now a part of are probably like those denominations before you know the Jesus movement happened in the sixties that now they are the places, it's the mainstream now. And when you have the mainstream, it's kind of like Jesus said, the mustard seed grows super big and even the birds perch in the branches. 
And of course, most commentators look at that and say, birds are usually a, a, a bad sign in, in, in the Bible. And he's kind of saying that, hey, you know, you become a harbor for, for almost just about anything. So, Really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting little thought. Never had that one before. Yeah. Thank you, Warren Wiersbe. <laughs> Isn't that why you and your neighbor take care of the birds in your neighborhood? <laughs> We're not talking about that. <laughs> I'm but, just going uh, to leave it out there like that. That's all. Just leave it. Just leave it. But but here's the deal, right? Um, and, and something that Hugh Halter said um, that, that we come back to as a theme, and it's it's connected to this, that the only reason that any minister ought to be set apart full-time, and let's face it, right, Um a lot of the leaders in the New Testament were not set apart full time. They had other things that they did, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul and his people. Um, but but there came a point at which Paul was laid aside full time. He started raising support from churches. It was when his ministry shifted to the reproducing of his own ministry, the reproduction of his of of, of himself. And so Hugh Alter made the statement that uh, only ministers who reproduce themselves ought to be supported full time. And that is a statement that I wholeheartedly agree. Again, another provocative, very absolute statement. But I believe it specifically because it feeds mission. And Jesus's great commission was just that. It was the great commission. Jesus commissioning with us. And if we're faithful to the mission, there's going to be the go, the outward expansion. And there's going to be the intentionality of reproducing. That's disciples. Make disciples. And preach the gospel, right? Make converts. So, which who become disciple making disciples. So, the, the, it, it basically has that outward expansion. If you're not doing that on a local level, even just grabbing one person, right, aside, and here's how it would work, Pete, because you, you brought up what if they're doing other things? It will inevitably lead to this if they focus on the Great Commission. So, let's say I, I take one guy right? And I take them under my wing. I'm like a little church. I've got, you know, 60 people are struggling. And I'm just going to paint a picture here and tell a story. Let's say I grab a guy and he's a mechanic. And I'm thinking of, of a real situation, a real guy I know that came up through New Breed. He's a mechanic and he's, he's, uh, his wife's coming to church and he's coming to church with her. And God seems to be moving in his life. And I grab a hold of that guy and I just start spending time with him as a pastor. And I'm a traditional church, you know, people aren't flocking in, you know, whatever. And I just start spending time with him, you know, getting together, talking with him about the Lord and praying with him. And this dude, it just something all of a sudden just clicks in his life. He starts taking off. He becomes, uh, he's a mechanic, but he's been ripping people off the whole time. And uh, suddenly now he starts going, you know what? I've been ripping people off my entire career, uh, making money off people. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell people, you pay me what you can afford. And this dude starts this mechanic business that's like a nonprofit deal. Hmm. And so he starts this off, and uh, suddenly he's leading people to Jesus. That's one scenario, right? He he then goes to seminary. I meet him because I end up being one of his teachers, um, on church planning, ironically, he's now in a church plant. <laughs> he interviewed me over the weekend, was in his first exorcism. And, uh, anyways, the, uh, the deal is, you know, let's take another situation. I'm that same pastor. I don't have that mechanic guy. I take, uh, you know, a guy who, um, you know, let's say he's, 
Uh, he's been a, uh, he's a, he's a salesman of a fence company, right? And I grab him, you know, he used to be an alcoholic, used to have a drinking problem, um, you know, working the, working the slots, online gambling, totally, totally addicted to it. Comes to Christ, he gets set free. I spend time with him. God starts untangling all these bundles, you know, and he gets liberated from all this junk. There's still things after he gets saved that still tie him down. Well, now all of a sudden he starts going, hey, you know what? Um, maybe there's people like me. And, and all I'm doing is pouring into one guy. I'm not, I, I'm not starting a church planting program. I'm just fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm discipling a dude. What's going to happen naturally is that guy is going to suddenly start taking off because I'm reproducing myself as a minister. Now what's happening is that guy is starting to go, hey, you know what? Um, would you mind if I like started a celebrate recovery group or whatever? Because or, or we need to talk about gambling. Can we do some kind of support group for people that have addictions? And because you're feeding into his life and empowering him and equipping him and awakening his gifts, which is what happens when you disciple somebody, he starts something. Now, maybe as that goes on, maybe within the six months to a year, he's got people getting saved there. Now, those people maybe thinking about it now, that guy who gets saved uh, maybe a year, a year and a half from now, ends up becoming one of your next leaders, ends up actually becoming a guy who gets discipled by the guy you discipled and ends up becoming a church planner. You see what I'm saying? That's mm -hmm. how it works. And for me, ministry did not really take off until I started discipling. You know, we talk about these guys, Mike Bonomo, Jimbo Balaam, Ruben Young, Charlie Marquez, all these guys um, that come up on the podcast. These are people I disciple. And they get, some of them, when they first start, don't think they're going to be in ministry. You know, they're just, for some reason, they're drawn to talking to me. We meet on accident. Like you, Pete. Eventually, when you go into ministry. <laughs> <laughs> I believe God has me set apart to not go into ministry. <laughs> I should believe that, too. I want you to make a bunch of money and tithe it. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle. Sooner or later, get the squish just like grip here. Church planting. Same thing. Either you. Church planting do. Yes. Or Church planting do. No. You. Church planting do. Guess so. Just like grip. <laughs> you church planting just like so. <laughs> or just so. You get the squish just mm. like grip. Just like grip. So, uh, yeah, man. So, you know, the, the, the both of those scenarios, you're actively doing something to reproduce yourself. And that is going to lead anything of those things that Jesus talks about doing, right? Any of those things that you start really focusing, even when he says to obey what I've commanded you, some people think he's talking about adherence to the law. No, he's talking about all the cool stuff he said in the New Testament, like go. <laughs> I think in context, he's actually telling them about the kingdom. The kingdom stuff he taught him. Remember that? And if you remember in the New Testament, the kingdom teaching was basically about growing. Uh, it, almost all of them were about finding something, about growing, a new discovery, new ownership, new rulership. Um, it all, it, all the kingdom analogies have to do with outward expansion, new kingdom, new rule, new this. So, uh, you know, you can either be building your empire or you can be expanding the kingdom. 
And a lot of guys, the reason why, if I'm talking to small church guys um, who are just like, hey, I'm just trying to bail water out of the sinking ship, man. I don't have time to, you know, trim a sail or, you know, hoist the, the you know, the, the, the main sail or draw up the anchor, man. I'm just trying to keep us from sinking. Look, just do what Jesus said. Teach them to obey all the things I commanded you. Do what Jesus said in that passage and see what happens. So, Pastor, I'm going to stand by my statement. It may be controversial. It may have really made you mad. But I'm going to tell you, if you're not actively doing something towards church planning, whether it's raising up a church planner, whether it's uh, doing the things that lead to church planning, or specifically targeting church planning, you are failing. Your church is failing in its role in the Great Commission. And you can quote him on that. Yeah. There, there's quote a me. there's a Twitter quote. We should have Barry put that one in a nice little JPEG and send it out to everyone. What What's that? We should have Barry put that in a nice little JPEG and send it out to everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I dig it, man. I dig it. So, um, yeah, I think I think we nailed that topic. I'm Brian Broderson. You've been listening to Pete and Peyton, two guys that definitely need surf lessons. And to plan a church. Absolutely. And I do need surf lessons. So if you happen to be around the uh, North County, San Diego area, come give me some surf lessons. And just so you know, starting up in September, I've got something called the Church Planning Train Station. If you're in San Diego County or even Orange County and you want to come along to that, we will meet every Monday morning from 9 to 1130. And we would love to see you. If you want to get some free training, some discipleship, even some hands-on stuff where we actually take you out, let me know. That's going to be in North County, San Diego. I dig it, man. So, um, you know, let, let me ask you something, Peyton. Are, do you consider yourself a, a very math-inclined pastor, or would you call yourself a non-math pastor? <laughs> Is this a trick question? Because <laughs> I, I am the non-math pastor. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if there was some sort of organization out there somewhere that could help you do all the things in church that you don't like to do? For instance, bookkeeping, payroll, 501c3, uh, workman's comp, uh, payroll, <laughs> bookkeeping. If only just. If, if there was something that could simplify church.com. That would be pretty, pretty cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> I wish I could see your face when you did that. Out the corner of your mouth. <laughs> Simplifiedchurch.com. Wow, Pete, that sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't already contacted simplifiedchurch.com, you should do that. Talk to simplifiedchurch.com and find out how they can help you simplify Yo, church. Awake from your nightmare, pick up the phone and call simplifiedchurch.com on the internet. <laughs> call on the internet. <laughs> they accept Skype calls. Just saying. I think you made that up just then. I bet you they would. Josh is like, he's way into tech. You know, he built their portal that they use. Yeah, dude. He makes websites too. He's like, well, they do, they simplify your church by making your website or teaching you how to make your website if you want to do it yourself. Yeah, all the techie, mathy, all the stuff that like right brain, left handed people need, they'll do. Yeah. 
the stuff that Peyton tries to get me to do that I'm sitting there going, seriously, you don't think I got anything better to do with my life than to do with the books for the church? Come on. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely. And cool. by the way, it's easy to find a sucker like Pete that will do it for you once you're using SimplifyChurch.com because a conversation goes like this. Look, you don't have to do a lot, you know, They've, but you do got to track it and you got to you got to make the deposit and you got to reconcile the accounts. But it actually it's pretty good. It, it makes my life really easy because like the other day, um, one of our pastors was asking me, hey, Pete, we need you to cut a check to so and so because they need to have it on Monday. And this is like. Saturday morning, they're asking me this. Uh, to which my reply was, actually, I don't have the checkbook. I can't cut you a check. We have a process for this. We use simplifychurch.com. They're the ones that are going to mail you the check. So if you've got an emergency, your emergency is going to have to wait. And it kind of teaches everyone that you can't just wait until the end and then dump everything on your treasurer. You got to actually plan that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, and that's all it is. Is I'll, I'll send an email saying, "Hey, will you uh, cut a check to so and so for this amount?" Boom. Yeah, or done. actually, they have a portal, and on the portal, I just go, "Okay, we've already paid this person, so you got their info. Give them this. Give them this amount. Here's the reason." Let me let, let me, me tell you how badly I need SimplifiedChurch.com. I don't even know what a portal is. <laughs> Because well, we use them for new breed as well. And yeah, just well, you don't actually have to use their portal. You can just send them an email if you're, you know, what's email again? How does that work? Can I can <laughs> I tweet you a request to send out a check? <laughs> <laughs> I've been using email for 20 years. I hope they never change it. That I do know how to use. I dig it. Well, that's uh, I, th- I think we've uh, beaten that topic to death. So, well, that's a wrap, everybody. <laughs> to quote Ed Wood, Johnny Depp. So, uh, Peyton, why don't you go ahead and sign us out? I am your father. <laughs> so, uh, guys, this has been New New Breed. Breed. What, yeah, what are you talking about? All right, go to newbreedchurchplanning.com. Ching. <laughs> uh, just that it was meant to be, Pete. Sorry. Uh, this has been the. What is it again? Help <laughs> <laughs> me out food. here. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. This has been, one more time, the Church Planner Podcast reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church